All right, welcome back, guys, to the Relay Bitcoin session, the podcast where we interview the most interesting and influential people uh, in the world <laughs> about the topic that uh, interests all of you, Bitcoin, obviously. And today we have a very special guest here, Mark Bernecker, uh, who was very early in Bitcoin, actually, but is a man of you know different interests and different traits, and especially a well-known uh, serial entrepreneur and investor in Switzerland, Europe, you know, the whole world, and uh, invests in different things, not only crypto, but also in startups and in, uh, you know, different uh, uh, topics. Uh, so we want to talk about this today. Thank you very much uh, for being here, Mark. Very yes, cool. You're taking pleasure time. to be here. Thanks for having me, Julian. Awesome. Uh, let's jump right in. I think everybody kind of wants to know when and how did you first invest in Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I heard about Bitcoin back in 2011. I mean, uh, I'm originally a tech entrepreneur and moved into the fintech space in 2010. So out of this research of what's going to happen with banks and financial service providers, I was always looking into future ways of payments and store of value and digital ways of transferring assets. So I got somehow in, in, in contact with, uh, I think there was an article Back in 2011, out of that, I read the white paper of Satoshi Nakamoto and was literally, yeah, since then fascinated by the whole idea behind. Um, my first Bitcoin uh, as an investor, but I was not looking at it as an investment, but rather as something I wanted to understand and try out, was back in 2012. Um, yeah, funnily, I mean, as you can imagine, the price was uh, quite low, but what I didn't. What was the price back then? Yeah, a little bit so less than, than $10, but wow. I didn't look at it as an investment, but really as something I wanted to understand. And that's why it was quite obvious that I somehow, yeah, just, I mean, it was not so easy to get Bitcoin back then. So you literally needed some friends being a little bit closer into tech than I was back then. And then I remember in 2013, there was a platform called Bitcoin.de, uh, mm -hmm. still existing. Uh, there I really got into it from an investment perspective. Uh, but it was definitely quite a different uh, time back then. And uh, honestly, I didn't know that many people who were somehow uh, looking into into Bitcoin. It was quite a lonely, lonely field. Yeah, and especially as an investment, I can imagine nobody really thought about it as an as a long-term investment and savings technology back then right so did this change in the in the course of your kind of investment journey or, or in or was it like in 2013 you decided yes this is a long-term investment for me and then you just bought and hold since or did you kind of uh, sell in between or? yeah unfortunately i sold quite a few of my bitcoin at 30 dollars <laughs> just because i thought now that was a nice experience and as i said i was not really into it from an investor perspective i also gave away quite a few bitcoin to closer friends also not to make them rich but to somehow show them how the whole thing works mm -hmm. and i also spent quite a few bitcoin uh, at satoshi dice this first <laughs> uh, yeah use case or at least gaming platform from eric forhes in the early days so uh, looking back, there was definitely some kind of a pizza element uh, yeah. when you when you would uh, take the numbers of today. But I think uh, that's always easy when you look back. 
but definitely after I saw these cycles and literally becoming more mainstream and more people, even my friends, which were not interested in the 2012 or 13 days, somehow deeper looking into it, I realized that it's perhaps really more than just a really disruptive technology with a visionary idea behind. Mm -hmm. So I moved more and more into a, yeah, from a professional perspective into the space. So from mm -hmm. a more geeky entrepreneur interested in new technologies into something where I said I really want to allocate a big part of my time uh, into Bitcoin and everything in, in this space. Okay, interesting. And what was it that fascinated you in the early days and what still keeps you interested now? I mean, on the one hand, like I would say in most emerging disruptive technologies, you meet a lot of very interesting people. Normally not the investors, uh, they're just coming when something is becoming more obvious. So it's really about passionate entrepreneurs driven by the idea behind new technologies. So they really want to change something. I remember the first events I attended, it was yeah, quite a geeky, sometimes anarchist, libertarian group of people. So really quite a yeah, unique bunch of, of, uh, of people. And that definitely changed today. But uh, it was just fascinating to see um, how many people from all kind of different areas are somehow moving into this into this new emerging uh, Bitcoin world, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was definitely also unique to see, I mean, uh, we had uh, Vitalik Buterin in Zurich at an event in 2015, just a few weeks after Ethereum started. And it was uh, fascinating to see how quickly uh, this group of people were becoming, on the one hand, very famous, but also very influential. I mm -hmm. mean, like every entrepreneur, you start somewhere and knows mostly at zero mm -hmm. and nobody cares about what you're doing. And if you're doing it right, you suddenly become more relevant and more people want to interact with you. But back then in the early days, all these people were very accessible. So there was literally no uh, social media noise or anything around. It was just a bunch of Strange cool, smart uh, <laughs> entrepreneurs yeah. willing to change something, right? Uh, 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 interesting. They were like the outliers, like uh, the, most of the normal people, they didn't really get what, what they were doing and like didn't really, didn't have the understanding or the interest in what they're doing. It's really special when you look at it now, like five years later, these are like the big guys, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's also interesting because unfortunately I don't have all my emails uh, uh, saved from these days, but uh, at least the ones at Gmail, they're preserved. And uh, it's funny to see when I Google or search for some old emails where I recommended to my friends to look into Bitcoin, mostly starting in 2013, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. And every time uh, they came back and said, uh, either I don't understand or I don't care and I don't mm -hmm. see any use case for it, similar with the internet 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if I have spare time, I just pick some of the mails and send them back to the <laughs> recipients uh, a few years later. So uh, told see you. a little bit <laughs> <Told you. laughs> that they missed some opportunities. Yeah. And finally, you still have the same questions, right? I mean, I have friends, they ask me since several years, is it a good time to somehow get into Bitcoin? Uh -huh. And I always have the same uh, answer. So that didn't really change in the last uh, eight, nine years. Uh -huh. What is the answer? Yeah, you should definitely, at first, you should somehow understand what's happening. I mean, it's not just about 
going to your banker and buy some Bitcoin. I think you should somehow really read the, the white paper and understand the vision and idea behind the whole thing. Then you should perhaps get a little bit deeper into the whole ecosystem and understand what the advantages of a computer-based decentralized system is compared to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And then uh, maybe after you somehow get a little bit the big picture and it normally takes you years to really dig a little bit deeper into it, um, you might consider that it also makes sense to get some financial exposure mm -hmm. into this new emerging uh, asset class. Mm -hmm. You were one of the very early people in Bitcoin, at least in Switzerland, but probably, you know, in the whole world, uh, you know, in 2011, 12, and the, the group of uh, people who were interested in Bitcoin is very small. So you, you, you are uh, one of these people who can talk about these early days. Like, uh, do you have some anecdotes or like what's the, what's the funniest or most bizarre uh, thing that you uh, lived through or that you still remember from these early days? Yeah, I think one of the fascinating things was definitely, I mean, that you had a lot of passionate entrepreneurs and they absolutely didn't care about money, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, knowing a few of these sometimes known and sometimes completely invisible people, uh, it, it's interesting to see that at a certain point, and uh, that's still happening uh, right now, they had a huge fortune uh, on their wallets just because they were very early, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there we talk about hundreds of millions of, of, uh, of uh, US dollars or uh, any other fiat currency, but they still uh, completely, they didn't change, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they still look the same, they do the same as a side effect of their early activities. They just became insanely rich on the paper, but mm -hmm. they didn't change. And I think that's also something which I which I like because when you read the press then you always have these examples of crazy young people buying a Lamborghini because they were just speculating and were lucky mm -hmm. and uh, if you have enough people you will always find somebody who was extremely lucky but I think that has absolutely nothing to do with the core idea and these people and that's why I think it's fascinating sometimes even people uh, you know but without knowing how deep and how long they're also uh, already in the space. Mm -hmm. I think that that's always something which is uh, extremely fascinating and Absolutely. also what's something I like uh, because you have a lot of people, they tell you, hey, I was in it for quite a few years and I don't know, know uh, these times and everything, but today you can literally prove everything, right? I mean, I could show you uh, my transactions from back then. Mm. So literally, uh, you can somehow verify all these uh, chit chats. And that's also something I like, mm -hmm. that uh, if, you, if you somehow want to verify if somebody is really solid, then you have uh, the blockchain who, who proves mm -hmm. it, right? Which mm -hmm. proves it. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And a lot of people are asking today, like, why is Bitcoin still so volatile? And you're a person you lived through quite some cycles. <coughs> you know, there are a lot of uh, um, uh, boom cycles where we have bubbles and then we have crashes again. Like I personally lived through one of them, basically, and now maybe the second or one of them in, in 2017. But before I wasn't really uh, deep in, in the space. You probably had quite some cycles. Uh, so what, 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 were the an what would be your answer if, if, if people ask, you know, why is it so volatile? What, why always these uh, boom and bust cycles? 
Yeah, I think it's a little bit a matter of perspective and time frame. I mean, if you look at Bitcoin on a daily, weekly, monthly base, it's still quite volatile, right? Mm. But if you somehow uh, zoom out and just see what happened in the last few years, there's literally just only one direction mm. with heavy corrections and ultimately, I think, also bubbles in between. And I think that's due to the fact that uh, we are moving from something which was extremely niche into something which is becoming more mainstream. I think we're still in the earlier days uh, looking at the whole space from a broader perspective. Mm -hmm. So that's why this whole boom-bust uh, cycles will, will continue. And personally, I also don't think it's a very bad thing as long as you don't look at Bitcoin as a pure short-term uh, payment solution. So that's why I think the term cryptocurrency is at least at this stage also not the right one. Mm -hmm. But uh, these whole short-time uh, volatility movements, which are often uh, negatively perceived, um, at, at this stage I think it's, it's nothing bad as long as you're not in it uh, from a pure short-term speculative perspective, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say that you should only have money in there that you don't need for a couple of years. Like, you don't need it to, to buy uh, something today um, because then, obviously, these, uh, these uh, volatility, uh, the volatility can go uh, against you. But uh, if you look at it as a long-term savings technology and you put your money there for five or ten years, then, as you say, uh, the waves are really uh, smooth, right? And it just goes up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, that's what you're also doing with your company, right? That you somehow change the behavior that you allocate a certain sum and then you look at the screen every day and hope it goes up. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a rather speculative approach. But yeah. if you look at it as a long-term asset, as a diversification, uh -huh. which is on a literally long-term to unlimited time frame, uh. then uh, an idea is definitely to instead of speculating to slowly but surely extend your exposure into digital assets, especially yeah. Bitcoin. Absolutely. And w when you talk about long-term assets, where do you see Bitcoin in 10 years from now? I mean, uh, in, in general, I think, as I mentioned, we're still in the earlier days. I mean, when you look at other technologies, email, for example, it took more than 20 years from the invention, which was mainly in a military complex to a tool which was used and really used in a very uh, slow and, and low adaption rate for, mm -hmm. for end customers. So literally we did, we were still far uh, behind this time cycle and time frame, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about something which is literally still not visible and usable for most people. So that's why I think we will see quite a few uh, uh, future growth steps also when you look at the growth rate and and compared to other innovations in in tech in the past mm -hmm. i mean when it comes to the price um i'm not a big fan of giving clear indications but i mean when when bitcoin was single digit it was crazy to think about bitcoin going to 100 dollar plus mm. same uh, when there was the area of 50 dollars it was completely insane to think that uh, <laughs> This might go to 1,000. And so this whole um, yeah, outlook and perspective is something which is, yeah, I think people are, are not, or mankind is not really, or humans are not really made 
to think in exponential uh, dimensions. Mm. And I think uh, technologies like Bitcoin and blockchain uh, have a lot of exponential elements mm. involved. So that might be a reason why everything happening in this field is a little bit out of our traditional understanding. Right? Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. But when you look, I always take the example of the modem back in the early internet days when you had to use a traditional modem which blocked your telephone line, right, to get online. And then every time you saw an image, it took you a few minutes to download it. I mean, now the same technology is used to have autonomous self-driving cars. <laughs> we can literally do global live streaming, which are close to replace physical meetings. So mm -hmm. ultimately, the same technology in roughly 20 years has completely different use cases, which were just unimaginable uh, mm -hmm. in the early days and I think that will be uh, similar in the whole uh, Bitcoin space mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but still the ones who were already into the internet back then they're the winners today obviously those those who could see this exponential growth yeah. and interesting and but on the other side what could still kill Bitcoin like is there something that could cause Bitcoin to fail still and if yes what would it be I mean, you always have certain risks attached. I mean, when you look at the internet uh, industry, I would say that uh, the development of, of, of the big players like, like Facebook or, or Google or Amazon show that uh, if, if something is going too fast and becomes too big, even uh, there are some elements to somehow uh, not stop but slow down these developments, you reach a level where it's not about the business and the technology, it's really about uh, yeah, society and, and especially also politics. So we might definitely move into a, a similar direction. I think in general, you can't slow down and stop uh, technological advantages. That's just by nature difficult, mm. uh, at least as long as you don't go into a completely uh, authoritarian uh, system, right? So that's why um, I think from a mid to long term perspective, it's definitely our existing governmental system, which somehow, as long as you don't understand the advantages of all these new developments, might look at Bitcoin and Bitcoin related activities as something which might challenge the existing status quo. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think like in other fields, if you really dig a little bit deeper into the whole technology and somehow also see the upside and the potential for society, economy and also for for the whole political system. I personally think that these arguments are uh, ultimately winning mm -hmm. against the more traditional preserve the status quo element. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the other discussion you always read about uh, is the whole uh, way of, of producing and verifying uh, uh, Bitcoin, meaning the mining and energy consumption. Mm -hmm. I think similar to the example of a modem, we will see huge technological advantages where these discussions become less uh, relevant in the future, even by ultimately consuming even more energy by definition if it grows. Mm -hmm. But as long as the value which stands behind this consumption is somehow justifying these developments, I personally don't see a conflict in, in the energy 
consumption mm -hmm. versus the value you generate of the out of these new technologies, mm -hmm. right? So in summary, basically a bright future uh, for Bitcoin, but then still uh, a lot of people that co are coming into the space like now, they think, you know, I, I already missed the train. Like a lot of people uh, think that, uh, you know, they, they ask, should I still invest in Bitcoin? Is it is it even still worth investing now? And as you said, you, you will probably, uh, you, you had the same question when Bitcoin was $50 and now it's $50,000 uh, currently when, when we are speaking now. So obviously pe people think, you know, I missed the train, I'm too late. What 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 is your answer to these questions? Yeah, I mean, again, I remember the times when I had discussions with friends where Bitcoin was roughly $150 and they told me, hey, it's 20 times more than what you paid for. So I'm definitely far too late. So don't uh, yeah, spam me with this whole Bitcoin thing. So these discussions are ultimately part of, uh, of, of the whole uh, industry, right? I mean, ultimately, it's perhaps also less about uh, the, the, the prices in the past and more about the potential in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at other disruptors, there was just not any opportunity to buy into Google when mm -hmm. they started from zero, right? That's, mm -hmm. I think, from a, a perspective uh, or from a, from a business perspective, something a lot of people miss, right? But with Bitcoin and also some other digital assets, you're ultimately able to be part of it from day one, right? Mm -hmm. So literally, if you would start a company, you would become the founding shareholder mm -hmm. with all the risks, but also with all the upside, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if you would be uh, or would have been able to become a Google shareholder from day one, I, I imagine your returns will be very similar with uh, similar volatility ultimately in the early days mm -hmm. um, than when you compare it with an investment in Bitcoin, right? And that's why I think this idea that uh, you missed something, yeah, you definitely perhaps joined the whole ride a little bit later, but as long as you focus on the potential and the outlook, I think the price is, is only a small element uh, of, of, of mm -hmm. the discussion, right? Yeah, it's, a good, it's a very good comparison because uh, I mean, nobody says uh, it's too late to invest in Google now because Google still has some potential and a lot of investors still invest in Google now. Yeah, that's uh, a good example, right? Yeah. And I also remember, I mean, I was with uh, Amiando, my, my last company. We were quite heavily involved in, in Facebook. I mean, also we met Mark Zuckerberg several times, so we were really seeing what's happening there. Mm -hmm. And I remember when uh, a lot of or quite a few of my closer investor friends were invested in, in Facebook before they went public. And I remember the discussions when, when Facebook did the IPO, everybody said, hey, that's crazy, sell your shares, <laughs> you will make a fortune and everybody else afterwards will lose its money. And when you look back, I mean, uh, even by missing everything uh, in the earlier years, you would have still done a very good investment if you mm -hmm. just bought the shares of Facebook or also Google when they IPO'd. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think this uh, perspective of yeah, missing something because you were not first is also always easy to say because you always also had the risk in the early days. I mean, now it's easy to say I should have had invested in yep. Bitcoin a few years before. So that's why it's, it's just, a, I think, a different mindset, mm -hmm. right? As you just mentioned, you have a lot of uh, friends in the investor and entrepreneurial and also politician um, 
kind of area. Um, you have a very good network. You're also known for that. Uh, so what what are these people uh, saying or thinking about uh, Bitcoin? Like people in, in your network, how do they think about Bitcoin? What's the attitude towards Bitcoin? Are still some of them kind of uh, on distance or are all of them like all in? Yeah, it depends. I mean, normally I would say it's always a little bit, I mean, they're the same people who are earlier when it comes to innovation, right? I mean, I would say some of my very close friends and business partners, they were also in the earlier days of, of Bitcoin and everybody's happy to share these experiences, sometimes publicly, sometimes behind closed door. And then you also always have the ones who are not the first comers, but as soon as they join a new development, then they really go full steam ahead, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I think, also something we see right now with all the big hedge funds and other asset managers moving into the space. They're definitely not the first comers, but the assets they allocate are far beyond the resources the first comers ever had, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that's a natural development. And yeah, then you always have the completely no-sayers. Uh, I, I would say the, the group is, is shrinking, but mm -hmm. similar to the earlier days of the internet, when I started my first internet company in 1999, you also had people, they desperately tried to convince you that the internet has no future and <laughs> it will disappear. So you always have these uh, yeah, extreme innovation, unfriendly approaches that I can live with that. Normally, you're not on the winning side with this uh, attitude, <laughs> but I mean, you can't force uh, anybody to uh, his luck, right? <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, so how do you decide on making an investment? So you're an experienced investor now, investing in companies and startups and, and different things for like 20 years probably now. How do you decide on making an investment uh, you know, in crypto, but maybe also in startups or stocks or real estate, whatever you invest? Is, is there something you could, you could tell our participants uh, or our, our listeners um, that you how do you think about making an investment decision? I mean, I have definitely not the traditional portfolio. So I would say literally 100% of my exposure is somehow related to people I know. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't invest in a big, big uh, uh, corporate listed company if I wouldn't know perhaps not the CEO, but some of the people on top mm -hmm. and the bigger the company, the less uh, you know the people behind. So mm -hmm. I would say literally close to 100% of my investments I could call, I mean at Bitcoin it's difficult, but I could call the founder or CEO and I'm really close to the people behind. So mm -hmm. from funds or stocks, it's always in a, in a, uh, there's always a personal relationship, right? Interesting. Um, which is perhaps not uh, how you would structure a traditional portfolio. The interesting thing is that, uh, I mean, at least if you're in the space for a certain time, you suddenly have a few friends who are listed. So instead of listing into a fancy stock, which is recommended by analysts and some anonymous resources, I have direct access. Mm -hmm. So I really know uh, the people who are driving it. And I think ultimately it doesn't really matter if you have a small first time startup or if you have a listed company, it's always the people behind. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, um, I mean, at Bitcoin, because there you can't call anybody. It's more about uh, 
as, as I said, it's less about what happened in the past and rather about where we're standing and what's what's the outlook, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a, let's say, f- entrepreneur, I always thought uh, it's crazy to invest in a company or a project which already has a huge valuation. Mm-hmm. But normally now realizing that it's not about the past and more about the future, ultimately it doesn't really ca- uh, doesn't really matter at which stage you join a project. But in general, I mean. I'm definitely still ideally very close to opportunities um, where I can, I mean, in the startup field especially, where I can also bring a certain added value. And that's also one of the reasons why I'm at this stage not really actively investing in more companies because I already have a a, a nice portfolio where I have still a good exchange with the founders. Mm -hmm. So instead of adding additional companies and having less time for my existing uh, companies I rather focus on these Mm -hmm. and also something I started now a few years ago is that I sometimes if I like a subject I don't invest in individual companies but I invest for example in a fund or in somebody who invests in a certain niche Mm -hmm. so ultimately I cover the subject a good example is the whole space business space mining I think there's a huge potential in it, but I'm no rocket science, so I'm not smart enough to really understand what's happening there if a founder talks about his case. Uh, so I invested uh, in this specific case in a, in a structure, in, a, in, a, in a, a club, investment club, where they invest uh, in the most promising space and space mining companies. So indirectly, I cover that space. I have access to all the people via this structure but i'm not forced to really understand everything yeah. uh, like a rocket science that's scientist. fascinating fascinating approach and like so can, can you talk uh, really quickly about the these areas these domains that you're invested in so i know about crypto and i know about longevity which i will uh, hopefully uh, we will learn more about uh, these two things later but and also space i didn't know that like what what, what are the areas that interest you most I mean, in, in general, for me, as a, as a tech entrepreneur uh, from day one, I was always fascinated by the power of technological innovations, especially when you see how quickly certain industries changed and will change just because you have a different technology eating into this additional existing traditional value chains, right? So I would say from a top perspective, uh, I'm always interested in exponential technologies, Mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, 20 years ago, tech was a niche. Nowadays, I would say tech is literally involved everywhere. Mm -hmm. So exponential technology is perhaps a good expression where you can somehow say as an investment theme, that's a focus. Mm -hmm. And then I personally like businesses which somehow seem like science fiction but as soon as you dig a little bit deeper into it you realize it's still science fiction but we are far closer to monetize certain areas of these fields right Mm -hmm. and i mean space mining is a good example i think it's extremely obvious that we will also exploit rare commodities in space in a rather short and long time perspective because that was always the case uh, I mean we 
as Columbus explored uh, North America. And then we realized, hey, there's more than just Europe from a European perspective, right? So even by having uh, huge obstacles, if you look back then, it was also extremely challenging to uh, come from Europe to, mm -hmm. to another continent, right? So I think the, yeah, the, the understanding of what's happening next, if you don't look at the world as it is right now, but really from a more broader long-term perspective, gives you certain insights where you can focus on extremely interesting and exciting fields without losing a certain tangible short-term business, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why space was always something which fascinated me. I was at Singularity University five years ago, so there you also get into quite a few interesting fields where you thought maybe before that's just nice from a science fiction perspective, but not from a business perspective. So that changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And another field where I'm also focusing quite a lot of time now going forward is the whole longevity space. Mm -hmm. If you hear about life extension longevity, yeah, you know the Egyptians and it was a dream uh, of, of, of since a thousand years, right? But when you talk to scientists and dig a little bit deeper into it, you realize that there's so many exciting developments, especially in the last few years, that this whole idea of having a healthier and longer and happier life is not science fiction anymore. And by speaking, we are literally able to live, all of us, far longer than expected in all these traditional uh, projections. And that's why I think it's also something where if you somehow bring a little bit the pieces together, from a business perspective, you understand that something which sounds quite extreme is becoming a real business uh, in a quite short term. And there, I can imagine there's a huge market for that. Like there's a huge demand for, you know, living longer and healthier. Uh, and, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't know uh, if, if you could buy uh, an additional happy and healthy year. What would be the price tag? I guess it's a little bit more than just having a faster car or a, uh, a nice address, right? Mm -hmm. So we're really moving into the yeah, main reason of existence, right? I mean, I'm not talking about the social implications and everything around, but that's also an interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, yeah, you move into the core of existence. And I think uh, besides the pure business and science part, which is extremely fascinating, it's also in a subject similar to, to Bitcoin, where you can really have very exciting in-depth discussions, mm -hmm. not about the business, not about the technology, but about the potential consequences of, mm -hmm. of these developments on society and on our understanding of living together. Mm -hmm. And I personally also think that's why I was never interested in just optimizing a B2B solution to make it 10% more efficient. That might be an interesting business case if you bet on the right company, but for me, that was always a little bit too boring. Mm -hmm. So I always somehow felt attracted to businesses where there was yeah, more attached than just the pure business and, and the potential exit multiple you can generate. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Interesting. So you, you really fo quite, you're quite focused now on this longevity topic, which is fascinating. And it also has something to do with Bitcoin, right? You sent me this article, I think it, it's called Bitcoiners that want to defeat death or something like that. Uh, yeah, so what is what is the link between longevity? And it's interesting. I mean, 
I and my my partners are also examples that uh, if you somehow get deep enough into the whole Bitcoin rabbit hole, you somehow explore longevity at the end. <laughs> and uh, it's all public. You can Google for it. I mean, the Winklevoss twins, Vitalik Buterin, Mike Novogratz, and some other quite well-known uh, people in the crypto space are big supporters of this initiatives mm -hmm. um, in the longevity field. There are mm -hmm. some philanthropic um, activities in this field. Hal Finlay, uh, which some people think might be at least part of Satoshi Nakamoto, mm. his body is frozen. So after he died, he decided uh, to uh, become frozen uh, in the hope of somehow coming back. I personally uh, don't know if this is really gonna <laughs> happen, but it's definitely an interesting field, but I wouldn't uh, do that myself at this stage. So I rather try to have a, a longer life before uh, I die. Uh -huh. um, but it's, it's interesting. You have these connections and maybe one of the reasons is also that if you somehow see uh, how Bitcoin might shape our existing monetary system, how the power is distributed with this decentralized idea behind. It's perhaps also a little bit about making a fragile uh, system more sustainable by implementing computers and algorithms. Mm. And somehow I think that's at least in the Silicon Valley mindset where there are also a lot of disadvantages, part of the thinking, right? That you somehow think by using the right innovation and technology, you can literally solve everything mm -hmm. and I mean with everything I think uh, living and death are yeah, the ultimate frontiers right yeah death is a technical problem in the end that's I mean that's a, one of the perspectives I mean mm -hmm. I don't think that the idea is at least at this stage to somehow live forever I think that has some implications which I personally wouldn't like but just to somehow have a happier healthier life uh, I think also from a ideological perspective is something I definitely want to dedicate time on it and as a side effect mm -hmm. uh, generating and creating interesting businesses as an entrepreneur is always uh, something uh, you like to do, right? Awesome. Very, very inspiring and interesting discussions. Thank you very mar yeah, uh, much, Mark. Uh, I need to let you go because I know you have a call, but one last um a thing I would like to know what what the um, how how much of your net worth is in Bitcoin if you if you uh, are open to tell this like in a percentage. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, far beyond any uh, healthy distribution. <laughs> so I would say it's roughly a two third. Wow. But okay. perhaps not only pure Bitcoin. I'm also involved in a few uh, yeah, hedge funds and mm -hmm. some other digital asset related projects and companies. Uh, but if it's somehow as a tech entrepreneur, digital entrepreneur, I think it's somehow not extremely uncommon mm -hmm. that you also allocate a big part of it into the digital computer-based economic system. And so far, I, I'm very happy with it. Okay. And we will see, perhaps I will use uh, these digital assets to transfer them into longevity tokens in the future, right? Interesting. Amazing. Thank you very much, Mark, for doing this Thanks. and have a great day. Thank you. Same to you.
friends, they ask me since several years, is it a good time to somehow get into Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. And I, I always have the same uh, answer. So that didn't really change in the last uh, eight, nine years. Uh-huh. What is the answer? Yeah, you should definitely, at first, you should somehow understand she's mm-hmm. right. So in summary, basically a bright future uh, for Bitcoin, but then still uh, a lot of people that co- are coming into the space like now, they think, you know, I, I already missed the train. Like a lot of people uh, think that, uh, you know, they, they ask, should I still invest in Bitcoin? Is it is it even still worth investing now? And as you said, you, you will probably, uh, you, you had the same question when Bitcoin was $50 and now it's $50,000 uh, currently when, when we are speaking now. So obviously pe- people think, you know, I missed the train, I'm too late. What 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 is your answer to these questions? Yeah, I mean, again, I remember the times when I had discussions with friends where Bitcoin was roughly $150 and they told me, hey, it's 20 times more than what you paid for. So I'm definitely far too late. So don't uh, spam me with this whole Bitcoin thing. So these discussions are ultimately part of of the whole uh, industry, right? I mean, ultimately, it's perhaps also less about uh, the the, the prices in the past and more about the potential in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at other disruptors, there was just not any opportunity to buy into Google when Mm -hmm. they started from zero, right? That's, Mm -hmm. I think, from a a perspective uh, or from from a business perspective, something a lot of people miss, right? With Bitcoin and also some other digital assets, you're ultimately able to be part of it from day one, right? Mm -hmm. So literally, if you would start a company, you would become the founding shareholder Mm -hmm. with all the risks, but also with all the upside, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if you would be uh, or would have been able to become a Google shareholder from day one, I I imagine your returns will be very similar with uh, similar volatility, ultimately, in the early days mm-hmm. um, than when you compare it with an investment in Bitcoin, right? And that's why I think this idea that uh, you missed something, yeah, you definitely perhaps joined the whole ride a little bit later, but as long as you focus on the potential and the outlook, I think the price is, is only a small element uh, of, of, of mm-hmm. the discussion, right? Yeah, it's, a good, it's a very good comparison because uh, I mean, nobody says uh, it's too late to invest in Google now because Google still has some potential and a lot of investors still invest in Google now. Yeah, that's a good Uh, example, right? And I also remember, I mean, I was with uh, Amiando, my my last company. We were quite heavily involved in in Facebook. I mean, also we met Mark Zuckerberg several times, so we were really seeing what's happening there. Mm -hmm. And I remember when uh, a lot of or quite a few of my closer investor friends were invested in, in Facebook before they went public. And I remember the discussions when when Facebook did the IPO. Everybody said, hey, that's crazy. Sell your shares. (laughs) You will make a fortune. And everybody else afterwards will lose its money. And when you look back, I mean, uh, even by missing everything uh, in the earlier years, you would have still done a very good investment if you Mm -hmm. just bought the shares of Facebook or also Google when they IPO'd. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think this... Uh, perspective of yeah missing something because you were not first is also always easy to say because you always also had the risk in the early days I mean now it's easy to say I should have had invested in yep. Bitcoin a few years before 
So that's why it's it's just I think a different mindset, mm -hmm. right? As you just mentioned, you have a lot of uh, friends in the investor and entrepreneurial and also politician um, uh, kind of area. Um, you have a very good network. You're also known for that. Uh, so what what are these people uh, saying or thinking about uh, Bitcoin? Like people in in your network, how do they think about Bitcoin? What's the attitude towards Bitcoin? Are still some of them kind of uh, on distance or are all of them like all in? Yeah, it depends. I mean, normally I would say it's always a little bit, I mean, they're the same people who are earlier when it comes to innovation, right? I mean, I would say some of my very close friends and business partners, they were also in the earlier days of, of Bitcoin and everybody's happy to share these experiences, sometimes publicly, sometimes behind closed door. And then you also always have the ones who are not the first comers, but as soon as they join a new development, then they really go full steam ahead, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I think, also something we see right now with all the big hedge funds and other asset managers moving into the space. They're definitely not the first comers, but the assets they allocate are far beyond the resources the first comers ever had, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that's a natural development. And yeah, then you always have the completely no-sayers. Uh, I, I would say the The group is, is shrinking, but mm -hmm. similar to the earlier days of the internet, when I started my first internet company in 1999, you also had people, they desperately tried to convince you that the internet has no future and <laughs> it will disappear. So you always have these uh, yeah, extreme innovation, unfriendly approaches, and I can live with that. Normally, you're not on the winning side with this uh, attitude, <laughs> but I mean, you can't force uh, anybody to uh, his luck, right? <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, so how do you decide on making an investment? So you're an experienced investor now, investing in companies and startups and, and different things for like 20 years probably now. How do you decide on making an investment uh, you know, in crypto, but maybe also in startups or stocks? Or real estate, whatever you invest, is there something you could you could tell our participants uh, or our, our listeners um, that you? How do you think about making an investment decision? I mean, I have definitely not the traditional portfolio, so I would say literally 100% of my exposure is somehow related to people I know. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't invest in a big, big uh, uh, corporate listed company if I wouldn't know perhaps not the CEO but some of the people on top mm -hmm. and the bigger the company the less uh, you know the people behind so mm -hmm. I would say literally close to 100% of my investments I could call I mean at Bitcoin it's difficult but I could call the founder or CEO and I'm really close to the people behind so mm -hmm. from funds or stocks it's always in a in a but there's always a personal relationship right Interesting. Um, which is perhaps not uh, how you would structure a traditional portfolio the interesting thing is that uh, I mean at least if you're in the space for a certain time you suddenly have a few friends who are listed so instead of listing into a fancy stock which is recommended by analysts and some anonymous resources I have direct access Mm -hmm. So I really know uh, the people who are driving it. And I think ultimately it doesn't really matter if you have a small first-time startup or if you have a listed company. 
it's always the people behind, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on the other side, um, I mean, at Bitcoin, because there you can't call anybody, it's more about, uh, as, as I said, it's less about what happened in the past and rather about where we're standing and what's what's the outlook, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a, let's say, f entrepreneur, I always thought uh, it's crazy to invest in a company or a project which already has a huge valuation, mm -hmm. but normally now realizing that it's not about the past and more about the future, ultimately it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really matter at which stage you join a project. But in general, I mean, I'm definitely still ideally very close to opportunities um, where I can, I mean, in the startup field especially, where I can also bring a certain added value. And that's also one of the reasons why I'm at this stage not really actively investing in more companies because I already have a, a, a nice portfolio where I have still a good exchange with the founders. Mm -hmm. So instead of adding additional companies and having less time for my existing uh, companies, I rather focus on these. Mm -hmm. And also something I started now a few years ago is that I sometimes if I like a subject, I don't invest in individual companies, but I invest, for example, in a fund or in somebody who invests in a certain niche. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, I cover the subject. A good example is the whole space business, space mining. I think there's a huge potential in it, but I'm no rocket science, so I'm not smart enough to really understand what's happening there if a founder talks about his case. Uh, so I invested uh, in this specific case in a, in a structure, in a, in, a, in a club, investment club, where they invest uh, in the most promising space and space mining companies. So indirectly, I cover that space. I have access to all the people via this structure, but I'm not forced to really understand everything yeah. uh, like a rocket science, scientist. That's fascinating, right? fascinating approach. And like, so can, can you talk uh, really quickly about the, these areas, these domains that you're invested in? So I know about crypto and I know about longevity, which I will uh, hopefully uh, we will learn more about uh, these two things later. But and also space. I didn't know that. Like what what, what are the areas that interest you most? I mean, in, in general, for me, as a, as a tech entrepreneur, uh, from day one, I was always fascinated by the power of technological innovations, especially when you see how quickly certain industries changed and will change. Just because you have a different technology eating into this additional existing uh, traditional value chains, right? So I would say from a top perspective, uh, I'm always interested in exponential technologies, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, 20 years ago, tech was a niche. Nowadays, I would say tech is literally involved everywhere. Mm -hmm. So exponential technology is perhaps a good expression where you can somehow say as an investment theme, that's a focus. Mm -hmm. And then I personally like businesses which somehow seem like science fiction but as soon as you dig a little bit deeper into it you realize it's still science fiction but we are far closer to monetize certain areas of these fields right mm -hmm. and i mean space mining is a good example i think it's extremely obvious that we will 
also exploit rare commodities in space in a rather short and long time perspective because that was always the case. Uh, I mean, we as Columbus explored uh, North America and then we realized, hey, there's more than just Europe from a European perspective, right? So even by having uh, huge obstacles, if you look back then, it was also extremely challenging to uh, come from Europe to, mm-hmm. to another continent, right? So I think the, yeah, the, the understanding of what's happening next, if you don't look at the world as it is right now, but really from a more broader long-term perspective, gives you certain insights where you can focus on extremely interesting and exciting fields without losing a certain tangible short-term business, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why space was always something which fascinated me. I was at Singularity University five years ago, so there you also get into quite a few interesting fields where you thought maybe before that's just nice from a science fiction perspective but not from a business perspective so that changed a lot mm-hmm. and another field where i'm also focusing quite a lot of time now going forward is the whole longevity space mm-hmm. if you hear about life extension longevity yeah you know the egyptians and it was a dream uh, of 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 since a thousand years right but when you talk to scientists and dig a little bit deeper into it you realize that there's so many exciting developments, especially in the last few years, that this whole idea of having a healthier and longer and happier life is not science fiction anymore. And by speaking, we are literally able to live, all of us, far longer than expected in all these traditional uh, projections. And that's why I think it's also something where if you somehow bring a little bit the pieces together, from a business perspective, you understand that something which sounds quite extreme is becoming a real business uh, in a quite short term. And there, I can imagine there's a huge market for that. Like there's a huge demand for you know living longer and healthier. Uh, and in, you know. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't know uh, if, if you could buy uh, an additional happy and healthy year, what would be the price tag? I guess it's a little bit more than just having a faster car or a, uh, a nice address, right? Mm. So we're really moving into the yeah, main reason of existence, right? I mean, I'm not talking about the social implications and everything around, but that's also an interesting discussion. Mm. But ultimately, yeah, you move into the core of existence. And I think uh, besides the pure business and science part, which is extremely fascinating, it's also in a subject similar to, to Bitcoin, where you can really have very exciting in-depth discussions, Mm -hmm. not about the business, not about the technology, but about the potential consequences of of these developments on society and on our understanding of living together. Mm -hmm. And I personally also think that's why I was never interested in just optimizing a B2B solution to make it 10% more efficient. That might be an interesting business case if you bet on the right company, but for me, that was always a little bit too boring. Mm-hmm. So I always somehow felt attracted to businesses where there was yeah, more attached than just the pure business and, and the potential exit multiple you can generate. Yeah, right? uh, uh, interesting. So you, you really fo- quite 
you're quite focused now on this longevity topic, which is fascinating. And it also has something to do with Bitcoin, right? You sent me this article, I think it, it's called Bitcoiners that want to defeat death or something like that. And yeah, so what is, what is the link between longevity? And it's interesting. I mean, I and my, my partners are also examples that uh, if you somehow get deep enough into the whole Bitcoin rabbit hole, you somehow explore longevity at the end. <laughs> And uh, it's all public. You can Google for it. I mean, the Winklevoss twins, Vitalik Buterin, Mike Novogratz, and some other quite well-known uh, people in the crypto space are big supporters of these initiatives mm -hmm. um, in the longevity field. There are mm -hmm. some philanthropic um, activities in this field. Hal Finlay, uh, which some people think might be at least part of Satoshi Nakamoto, mm -hmm. his body is frozen. So after he died, he decided uh, to uh, become frozen uh, in the hope of somehow coming back. I personally uh, don't know if this is really going <laughs> to happen, but it's definitely an interesting field. But I wouldn't uh, do that myself at this stage. So I'd rather try to have a, a longer life before uh -huh. I die. Uh -huh. um, but it's, it's interesting. You have these connections and maybe one of the reasons is also that if you somehow see uh, how bitcoin might shape our existing monetary system how the power is distributed with this decentralized idea behind it's perhaps also a little bit about making a fragile uh, system more sustainable by implementing computers and algorithms mm. and somehow i think that's at least in the Silicon Valley mindset where there are also a lot of disadvantages part of the thinking right that you somehow think by using the right innovation and technology you can literally solve everything mm -hmm. and I mean with everything I think uh, living and death are at the ultimate frontiers right yeah death is a technical problem in the end that's I mean that's a, one of the perspectives I mean I don't think that the idea is at least at this stage to somehow live forever I think that has some implications which I personally wouldn't like but just to somehow have a happier healthier life uh, I think also from a ideological perspective is something I definitely want to dedicate time on it and as a side effect mm -hmm. uh, generating and creating interesting businesses as an entrepreneur is always uh, something uh, you like to do, right? Awesome. Very, very inspiring and interesting discussions. Thank you very mar yeah, uh, much, Mark. Uh, I need to let you go because I know you have a call, but one last um, uh, thing I would like to know. what, what the, um, how, how much of your net worth is in Bitcoin, if you, if you uh, are open to tell this like in a percentage? Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, far beyond any uh, healthy distribution, <laughs> so I would say it's roughly a uh, two-third wow but okay. perhaps not only pure bitcoin i'm also involved in a few uh yeah, hedge funds and mm -hmm. some other digital asset related projects and companies mm -hmm. uh, but if it's somehow as a tech entrepreneur digital entrepreneur i think it's somehow not extremely uncommon mm -hmm. that you also allocate a big part of it into the digital computer-based economic system and so far, I, I'm very happy with it. Okay. And we will see. Perhaps I will use uh, these, 
digital assets to transfer them into longevity tokens in the future, right? Interesting. Amazing. Thank you very much, Mark, for doing this Thanks. and have a great day. Thank you. Same to you.